0: my mother's dutch book.
1: a poster which is a map of barbados my grandmother's suitcase
0: a flyer with the sound system on it
2: we all have one of those objects don't we something so sentimental we've had it for years and losing or breaking it is not an option these objects tell a story about us about our lives, upbringing and family. And for Caribbeans whose stories are so often left untold, we are bringing these stories to the fore. They're just pots on a surface level, but they're kind of loaded in history.
0: These flyers would have been going back to the 70s, so it brings back great memories.
2: This is Objects and Tings. A podcast celebrating Caribbeans and their favourite things. Episode 8.
0: Smart and
2: stylish. Hello and welcome to Objects and Teens, the weekly show that celebrates 75 years since the Windrush docked on UK shores. I'm Linda Burrell and I'm Catherine Ross. In each episode,
0: we welcome a different guest to celebrate Caribbean culture by looking back
2: at an important object in their life. So why are we doing this? Well, me and my mum—that's me—run Museum and a social history and community museum that travels the UK sharing Caribbean stories. You'll find us in schools, churches, shopping centres and even in Parliament. We thought making this podcast was a natural step to go a bit further and share stories directly with you, wherever you are. So thanks for listening. Now before we get this week's guests to
1: reveal their object, let's meet them first. Hello, I'm Tahara Smith and I'm a fashion and product designer from London and I create products inspired by the Caribbean and the Windrush generation.
2: Ooh, a fashion designer like me. Well, not so much anymore, but I did do a fashion degree and worked as a fashion designer in New York. So you did. And like you,
0: Tahara has branched out a bit from fashion design too.
1: I've been making different accessories and paper products, like greeting cards, art prints that have slogans and illustrations that's inspired by the Caribbean and the Windrush. There's slogans like, keep Britain kind, which was inspired by some of the graffiti that was when the Windrush generation came, Or the slogans people say was keep Britain white. So it's kind of like a play on that so that we focus on kindness.
2: I've got her online shop open here. I love it, I love the badges, the wrapping paper, it really has captured the spirit of the Caribbean, great for prezies for people. I'm putting things in my basket right now, one for you, two for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, whilst you fill up your basket,
0: can you take a guess at what object Tihara will be talking about? It's something inspired by her time at fashion school. It's got to be a dress. One of the outfits she's created. You're getting too good at this, Linda. Let's take a listen.
1: The object I'm talking about today is an outfit from my graduate fashion collection that I showed at Graduate Fashion Week in 2018. And I chose to talk about this object because my collection was inspired by the Windrush generation. I think it really encapsulates the whole Windrush story in one outfit. There is a white shirt that is made from vinyl tablecloth and it looks like a crochet doily. And then over that is a vest that's made from raffia, which is like dried palm leaves. And it has knitted rib around the neckline, the armhole and the hem. And it's hand embroidered with raffia again. The front has the black power fist and the England lion and the back has a slogan that says black and British and the trousers are denim clots so blue denim and it's styled with a pair of high knee boots brown boots and a hat when I think about the Windrush generation aesthetic I think about my granddad and like the photos of him when he was younger so he wore like really like tailored suits, and he always looked really smart. It was always like coordinated, colourful, stylish. That's what I think of. From the Windrush generation I'm most inspired by, I think their resilience, because when they came here they had to face a lot and to overcome a lot to allow the younger generation to have what we have today. I feel like Windrush history and British history are taught like they're separate things. When really, the story of the Windrush impacts everyone, has helped everyone. And it kind of is British history. It doesn't need to be separated into Black history or Black Caribbean history. And it's important that everyone has opportunity to learn about it. After look at my work, I hope people take away a little bit more knowledge about the Caribbean and that kind of inspiration to look deeper or to learn more about the culture and to learn more about the Windrush generation that came here and what they went through and the culture that they brought here and how it affects or has influenced what we experience today.
2: So true about the Windrush generation, being smart and stylish. I remember Grandad Ross, he always pop style and was very dapper. Oh yeah, my dad, Grandad Ross as you call him,
0: wouldn't leave the house without wearing a suit. And if I close my eyes now, I can see him
2: looking so suave and
0: sophisticated.
2: Yeah, totally. And Tahara is right about how British and Caribbean history has been taught in schools. It still amazes me that people don't know they're linked. Yes, and very strongly linked, in fact, due to
0: the transatlantic slave trade. It's such a shame there's still a gap in people's knowledge. As we've learnt in this podcast, both cultures have inspired each other in so many different ways.
2: Yes, and when you start looking, it's so obvious. For example, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realise how British aesthetics have benefited from the colourful aesthetics of the Caribbean. We really brought colour to this nation, which is something Tahara knows all too well. Colourful aesthetics are her speciality. I'm keen to delve more into her inspirations and find out where all the colour comes from. Hello Tahara, how are you doing?
1: Hi! Hello, I'm okay. How are you?
0: Really well. Yes. Yeah, lovely to meet
2: you. Yeah, you too. Just to start then, you know, love the collection. Thank you. I remember seeing it in the press um, around 2018, 2019, and it really resonated with me, not just from a heritage point of view, but also as an ex-designer myself and fashion editor and stylist. It was a revelation to me. Um, What was the title of your final collection and what were you trying to convey through the collection?
1: When I started the collection, it was just more about my own heritage. I started working on the collection in 2017 and then it was like around, was it the end of 2017 or beginning of 2018 when like the Windrush scandal was in the news. So that's when I kind of expanded away, like not just my family and then expanded into like looking at the Windrush as a whole. So then that's when I kind of decided to call the collection at the Windrush Collection.
2: Right. And you really made some interesting choices in the types of materials you used for the outfit that you're talking about today. Where did the inspiration for these materials come from, like the raffia, the vinyl, et cetera?
1: So with the raffia, that was inspired by like the crafts from the Caribbean, like the straw bags and fans, like the embroidered souvenirs. And I was looking at um, the West Indian front room. There's a book by Michael McMillan, mm-hmm. and he kind of looked into the, all the objects and things that are in the front room. And one of the other things was the like crochet doily type things and the tablecloths or like people covering their sofas and like plastic and things like that. So then that's where the vinyl tablecloths came from. Um, and then the denim came from the photographs that was taken at the time, like looking like what people wore. And it has like a 70s feel, so like the flares and that kind of thing. And also there's the faux fur, which was kind of like, it was kind of different because if you think about the Caribbean, people not wearing fur. (laughs) But it was that kind of link that them coming to the UK and it being colder and having to like change what they had to wear.
2: Yes. And that was um, a lot of the women that when they, you know, we dress, as, as you know, we really like to dress up and look good. So a lot of the women would save up their pardon and buy a bit of faux fur <laughs> <laughs> when they're going out to the Shabins and what have you. And I love um, the raffia. I, I still have my raffia bags that my grandmother gave me and my father um, purchased for me um, back in the Caribbean absolutely love them so they're in pride of place in my house alongside my really expensive designer bags I have those because they're so precious to me um but the um the vinyl tablecloth I love that my grandmother till she passed away always had a vinyl tablecloth even if she had like a pretty embroidered cloth one underneath she'd have the vinyl on top not to ruin the pretty embroidered one and um that squeak when you cleaned it it always had that (laughs) funny little squeak sound (laughs) That's what I remember. As soon as you said it, that's when my mind took me. Another thing
0: about that I remember about the Caribbean uh, sofas that were kept in the front room was that um, invariably they were covered in a sort of plastic thing. Either they were bought um, with it on or they bought special ones that they covered the settee in. So you don't even um, stain or dirty it or whatever. You always had a a cold bottom. and, (laughs) (laughs) And if you moved too much, it made a squeaking sound. But yeah. We like to protect
2: the expensive things that we buy. So when it was really hot, you'd also get stuck on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, at the moment, I've got a really expensive sofa that I purchased recently because I've just moved home. And it's so expensive that no one's allowed to sit on it. <laughs> so I don't put plastic on it. But I just, you know, everybody knows they come to my house, sit on the cheap chairs, not on the expensive sofa. <laughs> Are you allowed Carry to on sit the- on it? Oh, I don't sit on it. I carry on that tradition of, you know, safe kept for baths, I never touch it.
0: (laughs) I hear this particular outfit is hanging somewhere quite special. Can you talk to us about that?
1: Yeah, so the outfit I was talking about before um, was acquired by the Museum of London in 2021. Fantastic. Yeah, the fashion creators from the museum saw my work on Instagram. And then contacted me because they were trying to make their collection more representative of London. So it's going to be in their new museum. I think it's opening in a few years' time. So that's exciting. Well, that's a great
0: first. I'm really, really proud of you because curators don't do things like that quite lightly. So you must be some special person.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: And why do you think that particular outfit was the, the outfit they chose? I feel
1: like it had a little bit from the whole collection. So it had the vinyl tablecloth as the shirt and then it had the raffia with the vest and it had the denim and then it had the statement on the back. So I feel like it kind of encapsulated the whole thing. Where do you keep the rest of the collection? It's just in my wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) Still an important place. Yeah.
0: (laughs) If you just keep them in your wardrobe,
1: are you ever tempted
0: just to dress up in one of them?
1: I think when I first uh, bought the stuff home, I did sometimes just put it on. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> they have a denim jacket in the collection and I um, made like another one of it. And I did wear it outside once. So that was that was nice.
0: It was really good that you wore what you designed. It shows you really believe in it and you like making statements. Your granddad sounds like a very
1: well-dressed man, but what was his personality like? He was very family-orientated. He used to take me to school and pick me up every day in primary school, so I spent a lot of time with him. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. I'd say he was, he was quite serious with people he didn't know, <laughs> but he was, like, he was quite soft with me at least. I think when, when my mum and her siblings were growing up, I think he was quite strict with them. But like by the time he had grandchildren he was like really soft.
2: <laughs> I think that's a typical windrush male thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. You
2: mellow and you relax. You've done the hard work,
0: raising your family and whatever. Now's your time to spoil the grandchildren. So yeah.
2: <laughs> I hear he had quite the story. Can you talk to us a bit about his life?
1: Yeah, so he was uh, born in St. Lucia in Viewfort, and then he came to the UK when he was about 18, 19 in 1958 um, and then when he arrived here, like the next day, he got a job in Boots in Piccadilly Circus. So it was like really quick, he said how like there were so many jobs, it was like you could leave one job and get the next job the next day because there was just so many jobs going at the time. And then while he was working there, he ended up going to work at a garage nearby. So he was into like mechanics and things like that. And somebody um saw him there and asked if he'd like to do that like boxing because he had like the build for boxing. So then he ended up doing amateur boxing in the UK and in Germany. And then he met my grandmother. So then... They settled down and had children, so he kind of gave up the boxing. But that's when he continued to like mechanics and things.
2: There's so many parallels here with your story and ours. Um, My mum came in 58, right mum? I did, yeah. the same year as your grandfather. And my grandfather, mum's dad, was a boxer. And Ah. both small island people. So that's fine. And we're from Nottingham, the home of (laughs) boots. We could be twins. (laughs) Oh yeah, and we're both fashion designers. Oh my god, this is so cool. (laughs) I've got one more, not to be annoying. You're in the museum, and we own a museum. Yeah. (laughs) And
0: I've got one, I've got one. I did Google you uh, once we decided to have you on the show and I found out that your um, grandfather came on the SS Montserrat. Yeah. I did in
1: 1958.
0: Oh, wow. I could have seen him on the ship. Yeah. Oh, no.
2: Wow. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs)
1: Can I just ask, what are you up to at the moment? So, like, after I did my collection, I decided to, like, make it into a business. So I made, like, accessories and um, now I make, like, greeting cards and pins and stationery, kind of inspired by the Caribbean. So that's what I'm working on now.
2: That's really interesting. Why did you decide to go that way and not continue designing
1: fashion? I think with the fashion, it's quite difficult to get started with like minimal budget, I guess, and like develop the collection. So when I first started, I started with like bags because you don't need to worry about sizes and things like that. So everyone can wear the same size bag. Clever. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But then because it's like the, so I used the raffia and, and the hand embroidery, so it's quite time consuming, which makes it really expensive. So it's difficult to find the customer. So I thought if I started with products that kind of everyone can access and enjoy, and then one day, hopefully I can go back into the kind of fashion world. So were
2: you making all of the raffia pieces yourself when you're doing the designing the bags? Yeah. Oh wow. So I can remember in your collection actually, the beautiful wooden handle.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, did you make that yourself? So that is a laser cut. So I made, like I made the artwork and then sent it to be laser cut. And then I like stained it and varnished it and stuff.
2: I loved that. I really did like that.
0: I think that's one of um, our aspects of style that's very Caribbean, those handles for the bags. Oh, yeah. People in the 80s were like, you know, you just like going down the street where black people lived (laughs) because, you know, the different handles and got you all excited. Because even the choice of handles and the design tells a story, a bit of our culture. I loved it.
1: So what next for Tahara? At the moment, I've got the greeting cards, which is probably the most, like, easiest product to like make to do designs and get them printed
2: so what's on your greetings card is it more um pictures
1: words it's mostly words but also like some like illustrations so it's all like tropical and caribbean inspired some like caribbean words and phrases so what sort of words and phrases are on the greetings cards like irie like the jamaican there's like we're jamming there's cars that just have like all the island food so Mm. it's just like filled with like plantain and coconut like stuff like that well
0: what i'm impressed with is that you're trying to share caribbean culture in many different ways so you know, different kinds of people will connect with it. And I applaud that because that's what we do as a museum. We don't just put things on shelves and in glass cabinets um, when we put on a display. We try and do that through different things. Not least of all, our podcast is another way of reaching our people. So, yeah, again, I say I applaud you for doing it through cards, through accessories and also through styling as well. So well done, you.
1: Thank you. The idea was to kind of create something that people could access the Caribbean, that even if you're not from there, that in a nice, fun way. And then hopefully that like, inspires them to look deeper into the stories and things like that. Because a lot of people don't really know about the Windrush. There's those people that I've encountered like doing this, it's like, what's the Windrush? So it's kind of nice that that's their first taste of it. And can
0: I say, one of the things that was very common in a Caribbean home were things on the wall like um, tea towels with all our so true. Um, foods and, and, and sayings and other things on it as reminders of home. So you're continuing in that great tradition. And um, I look forward to having a look at
2: some of your pieces now. <laughs> <laughs> Tahara, we're coming to the end of our conversation, but we always like to end with a saying. Is there a saying um that's maybe you've been passed down from your grandfather, your mother, that you'd like to share with us today?
1: My granddad, anyone that he loved who just referenced like my tahara or like my mommy call her uh, my Lorna. So that was quite cute. <laughs> that's that
2: is cute. Yeah. Very unique. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, thank you um, for joining us today for the conversation. really enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to see what else you come up with that's creative. And uh, good luck with the future. Very much so. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, how sweet. I really like that saying. I love you, my Catherine. I love you too, my Linda. This conversation has been a really nice insight into Tahara's life. Her art is really keeping the spirit of the Windrush generation alive. Keep it up, Tahara. We're immensely proud of you. Definitely. So that brings us to the end of yet another episode. We really hope you enjoy listening to these episodes as much as we're enjoying making them for you. If you like the show, let us know. You can leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Or you could follow us on Twitter
0: at MuseumAnd or on Insta at MuseumAnd underscore.
2: And if you'd like to find out more about the work we do to champion Caribbean stories, visit MuseumAnd.org. Next week, we're speaking to Paul Henriquez.
0: I won't give away what he'll be talking about just yet, except to say that it's actually more of a ting than an object. Hmm, intriguing.
2: But until next time, bye-bye. Bye.